Hey, what's up? This podcast brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online, mslandbank.com. The kind of people that you want to do business with. And if you're in the need for land, financing, refinancing, maybe it's, you know, farm needs, farmland, maybe equipment as well. Also recreational property, anything like that, land-related, farm-related, make sure you go first to Mississippi Land Bank throughout North Mississippi. We're also brought to you by Jubilation's Cheesecake. Doesn't cheesecake sound good right about now? You know, we're mm. recording early in the morning, Brett, and if I had some here with my coffee, it'd be outstanding. Congrats to the Cheesecake winner last week. It ought to be showing up pretty soon. We'll get all that coordinated. Just a reminder that Jubilation's Cheesecake, a lot of y'all are going to be going to the regional and hopefully super regional and traveling through West Point on your way. If you are, right on Highway 45. In fact, it's kind of like right there... Uh, before you get down to Mossy Oak, it's right there on the east side of Highway 45, right across pretty much from Taco Bell. You'll see it, Jubilations Cheesecake. Stop in. they got a coffee house. You can have coffee. You can have breakfast. You can have lunch. They make lunch stuff, sandwiches, soups, all that from scratch. But, you know, coffee and sweets and cheesecake, you can watch them being made while you're there also. So stop in and tell them Hail State. What's up, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of Dogpile. Postseason baseball is finally here. With Matt Wyatt, I am Brett Hudson, and we are coming to you after a week of anger. Let's recap it, (laughs) shall we? Everyone was mad at State and LSU for playing a billion innings and keeping that game going for 93 hours in the SEC tournament. I was mad at these fools out here intentionally walking Jake Mangum again. Vandy was mad at Ethan Small for being so good, and Bulldog fans were mad at the Vandy Whistler, as basically everyone is. State fans were mad at the team for not hitting, then mad at the NCAA for having Georgia and Georgia Tech over the Bulldogs. I'm sure we'll get to that later on. And finally, my body is mad at me for the things I did to it this weekend, but I'm recovering the best (laughs) I can. Matt, how did you survive this weekend of anger? Man, I just sat back and soaked it all in and (laughs) you know i i used the whole uh willpower thing you know during the game against vanderbilt sitting out there with my dad in the stands just kind of blocked it out and i will say this about the whistler yeah it's constant it's uh it's it's like um you know a petulant child in a grown man's body who decides Mm. you know he's going to do those kinds of things but i will say it's much worse watching it on tv than it is in person depending on where you're sitting. So what I'm saying is he was during the Vandy state game. He's on the other side of the stadium, but he's several rows down lower than what I was sitting. So there's this element of he's not blaring that whistle right at me. So it was a little more bearable because it just sounded farther away. And there were some state fans we were sitting around Brett, that when he would whistle and it has that cadence, you know, you know, and yep. they would go, let's go state. And so they started yeah. this cheer of every time he'd whistle, they'd go, let's go state. And it actually was much more bearable that way too. <laughs> so I decided it was not as obnoxious, even in person as it is on television when they find the TV mics. And I thought the rest of the weekend, you know, ESPN kind of faked him out. They put up dummy microphones and he'd get close to it. And it really wasn't a hot mic and they'd mm-hmm. move the hot mic elsewhere. That's my theory anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what? If that if that were the case, that'd be that'd be fair. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Yeah, fake him out. So you know, uh, neither here nor there. That sort of thing. Vandy goes on and wins it. They're super, super duper 
talented and so good yeah. throughout, you know, one through nine throughout their lineup. And they they hit the ball, and some other teams did as well. And then, Brett, so I, I'm kind of hitting the fast-forward button. we got plenty of time to kind of go back to the tournament. But, mm-hmm. you know, here we sit recording on a Tuesday, and State is the number six national seed, not top four, but at number six. Um, any surprise there for you? Uh, yeah, I think I think most of the the baseball world was surprised by both Georgia and Georgia Tech being being above Mississippi State, and it's just uh, and, and Arkansas for that matter. So it wasn't that that State was was the only one. It's just it's just hard to it's hard to fathom. I mean, if you look at if you just look at basic resume stuff, uh, and, and especially what the committee did at the end in terms of giving Florida a spot in this field, mm-hmm. even though they more or less didn't give a very similar Tennessee team a spot in this field last year, that you're assuming you're left to assume you gave Florida that spot in the field because quality wins, right? Like they yeah. go out and they beat good teams and that's what you have to do in the NCAA tournament. So if you're going to prove yourself worthy of the NCAA tournament, you ought to be able to do the thing that you're required to do in the NCAA tournament and that's that's what got florida in in my opinion Mm. then why wouldn't that same criteria apply throughout the tournament when you have difficult decisions to make like when you have uh, i think it was pretty clear that ucla and vandy were your one and two do with that whatever you will but once you got beyond that once you got to the georgia georgia tech mississippi state arkansas uh you could even maybe lump louisville into that conversation, once you got into that cluster, mm. it, it was it was pretty tough to, to split about. But look at Georgia Tech, 19 and 11 in quad one games, five and two in quad two games. Mississippi State, 24 and 12, seven and one. So that's a combined record in quad one and quad two games of 31 and 13 compared to Georgia Tech going 25, no, 24 and 13. In, in those games. And Georgia, I mean, do I even need to entertain that nonsense after State swept that regular season series? Do I even need to entertain the nonsense of Georgia being above Mississippi State, even though State is 46-13 and 13 with a strength of schedule that's comparable to Georgia's 44-15 and 15 with everything Mississippi State did outside yeah. of the conference? And and now, granted, Georgia's out-of-conference out schedule is a little bit stronger, but Mississippi State also played in SEC West schedule which this year was undeniably stronger than than the SEC East. Uh the, yeah, there were a couple of head scratchers mm-hmm. there. I don't know how Georgia Tech is over either Arkansas or Mississippi State. I, I think it should have been Bandy UCLA, probably Arkansas, Mississippi State, and then you get to Georgia Tech and Georgia and Louisville and set that out how you please. Yeah. But the fact that the top four wasn't UCLA Vandy in some order, then Arkansas, then Mississippi state. I I think that's a miss. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know any other way to put it. I think that's a miss. Well, and, and I'm so confused by it too. It's hard for me to, you know, kind of uh, line all this one up because as Teddy Cahill wrote in the baseball America article, Afterwards, you know, it, it was predicated on the surprise of TCU getting in, and he pointed to some of it. But, but one of the major points he made, he, there's plenty of examples to show you that this is the first time in a while 
that the committee didn't just use RPI basically as its as its gauge for everything. Um, yes. You've got all kinds of stuff outside the norm RPI wise, like um, like Ole Miss getting a, a host spot and their RPI sitting there at twenty two. Years past, that was not even possible. I think, and again, I keep going back to a stat somebody gave me a couple of weeks ago that it was like the last 10 or 15 years, I think it was maybe the last 10 years, that no SEC team had ever hosted a regional with an RPI worse than 14. Okay, so it's like every year you just go, well, they keep showing you every year you got to be in a top 14, 15 in the RPI to have a chance to host. Yeah. Well, RPI was not the biggest gauge this year. And as he pointed out in that, I thought it was really well done, is you know wins over top 50 teams and that kind of thing seem to be the you know more weighty. Well, that too should go in state's favor. The other thing to me, Brett, I just want to get your thoughts on this. You probably have a better grasp of it than I do. I'm just looking at it on the surface and going – Okay, they paired UCLA and Oregon State, conference versus conference, in the Super Regional. Okay, and these are just looking at one seeds now. They paired yeah. o- they paired Oklahoma State up with Texas Tech. So if those ones advance, it's a conference super. They paired Arkansas and Ole Miss, two SEC teams hosting. So if the ones mm-hmm. advance, and I know ones don't always advance. I'm just saying, they paired LSU versus Georgia. Okay, if the ones advance, there you go. Um, Let's see. They paired North Carolina with Georgia Tech, two ACC regionals. So as fans, we always look at it. We go, well, the one seeds have the best chance. They don't always do it, but they have the best chance to advance to their supers. And we've got all these conference versus conference foes. Last year... um, State came out of Florida State as a two and had to go to Vanderbilt. And it's almost, I don't know, I can't help but wonder if there's somebody in and around that committee that goes, hey, with what State did last year and with what they are this year, you need to get them out of this realm of hosting another SEC team in a super. Because they and Vanderbilt, who played each other in a super last year, are the only two SEC teams hosting not paired with another SEC team. Does that make any sense? It's almost like the committee went, Vandy and State had to play each other last year in a Super Regional. We're not doing that to them this year where they play another conference team in their their Super Regional if they get there. Uh, I mean, you you can make the case that that was the case if if it is – I, I just I just hate it. Yeah. I don't I don't like it. I mean put see the best sixteen teams in America mm-hmm. in the order that you deemed them to be. But it looks like they did that for what the happens, most part. Happens. I mean what if what if you did that last year, right? What if you seeded Florida State somewhere just to prevent them from getting an ACC super regional just to watch Mississippi State come out of it. Come out of it, yeah. Why? That's right. Why would you? Why would you do that in in this bracket where upsets happen somewhat regularly, weird things happen, and you don't always get that chalk top sixteen. You don't always get the super regional matchups you draw up. Yeah. When you see this thing, one through sixteen. I mean, the the whole conference thing is another 
weird part of it, much like it, it went back to uh, the Teddy Cahill work you mentioned about quality wins being prioritized over uh, general RPI. And I do have a thought to offer on that at the end. Uh, but but this whole like conference v conference thing, yeah. To me, I don't I don't really care. Like just put just put the best sixteen teams in the nation in that top sixteen and put them in a defensible order, not the correct order, because there's no way you're getting this one hundred percent right every year. Just do it in a way that is defensible. Yeah. By what you prioritize and the whole Georgia Tech Georgia thing over Arkansas and Mississippi State that doesn't really ring as defensible. To me, and, and that that's a conversation we we had earlier. But the conference, the conference free conference thing in the in the super regional, I, I don't I don't care. I want the best eight teams in Omaha. That's the greatest show on dirt. Make it the greatest show on dirt. What whatever whatever you got to do to get eight quality teams in Omaha, do it. You don't really have to cook the books conference representation wise. Yeah. To me, because frankly, once you get there. Everybody's got a good shot. I, I just don't care about the conference thing. Just put the top 16 teams in there, put them in order, and roll with it. My, my final thing on the RPI deal, can't, can't you help but notice that men's basketball is inventing a new metric because they're realizing that their coaches can game the RPI? Yeah. Like the RPI is a relatively simple formula. Mm-hmm. And one that can be gamed and and maneuvered and and kind of had over, right? Yeah, won over. You can you can kind of game the RPI to make you look better than you are, um, and, and that's why men's basketball has changed their their metric from the RPI to the NET. So the NCAA baseball selection committee devaluing RPI and going with quality wins. I'm very much in favor of that. Um, even if it does mean that you occasionally get some some power five teams and over really, really good mid-major teams. I'm not a huge fan of that in, in most instances. But if you're going to value quality wins, I think that's the way it should be. I think that's better than valuing RPI. But you got to do that top to bottom. You can't just do that on the 64-team bubble. you got to do that on the 18 bubble and the 16 team bubble too you got to value quality wins top to bottom you got to set that standard for baseball coaches around america so they can schedule accordingly and they can treat those quality win opportunities Mm -hmm. accordingly as opposed to just taking games for the rpi and boosting their rpi just by being on the same field as as a certain team that's going to help boost their their rpi that's my that's my thought process on all of it you um just one thing Missouri finishes ahead of Florida in the conference rankings, mm-hmm. one spot ahead, one half game basically ahead because they had a tie. All right. Right. Missouri goes 13 and 16 and one. Florida goes 13 and 17. All right. RPI, Florida was 27. Missouri was 31. And Missouri finished the year on five straight losses. And so that Missouri does not get in to the tournament, yet Florida does. I mean, I, I don't know if that was obvious, but, man, that was close for those two. And, and you – I know Florida wound up – we're talking about RPI and other things. Um, timeout. Timeout. Ha. Sorry, that's Jake Wimberly calling me. I'll have to call him back. 
Um, yeah, so I'm looking at, let's see, against Q1, Missouri was 8 and 16, and Florida was 14 and 19. So there are a few spots better in the RPI, but Florida was much better, had many more wins and games versus these Q1 type teams, whatever you want to call them. Right. I guess top 50. And that being the big difference uh, in getting Florida in the tournament versus Missouri. So for those teams, it really did come down to scheduling. You're talking about gaming the, you know, the the RPI thing. Their RPIs are basically identical, but this is a deal where not only did Florida play a lot more um, of the team, the better teams throughout the year, it's just the way either the schedule or the non-conference or whatever worked. Mm-hmm. But they had almost double the number of wins versus those top fifty type teams, so um, that looked to be the difference in that one also. So if you're a coach going forward, you know I don't know that you can't use this year's selection and placement um, as a as as the same old RPI gauge. If if a coach is out there looking at future scheduling, you're going hmm, you know not only. RPI, but we got to figure home and away, and we got to put more of these top fifty games on here. You know, so yeah. they're going to look at it that way. Yeah, uh, and this is my last thought on the bracket as a whole. Uh, after after bashing the committee a little bit for what they did in, in certain spots, I will give them credit in what they did to fill out each individual regional. The the one exception was giving Vandy the number two overall seed. Ohio State as a four seed uh, that no. that seemed a little out of place uh, that that seems a little too difficult for for the number two overall seed to have Ohio State as the four seed in their own regional but for the most part you really see the quality of regional get better as you go from the one seed to to the 16 seed I mean you look at UCLA and uh, Georgia Tech and Georgia, Arkansas especially. Arkansas has looks like they have a really uh, easy road to uh, to a super regional considering, I mean, that, that team that was so controversial about getting in, TCU, they were the three seed in, in Fayetteville. Um, uh, Mississippi State, their road is pretty advantageous as I as I looked at the stats on on the Hudson Report page. You can you can find that on MattWyattMedia.com and the Hudson Report blog. Looked at uh look at each team in the uh, Starkville regional on a statistical basis, and that's at six. But as you kind of get down, that Ole Miss regional ain't easy. The Oxford regional ain't easy. The Baton Rouge regional is brutal. Brutal. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You go to Oregon State, Corvallis. Uh, Oregon State has Cincinnati, Creighton, and Michigan coming to Corvallis. That's that's a knockdown dragout. Now Oregon State's really good. I still think they're going to come out of that. But man, that is that is a really good collection of teams. I kind of wish I could fly out to Corvallis for the weekend. That'd be that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> but that's one thing that I will give the selection committee credit for. Maybe they didn't get a couple of things right on the bubble. Maybe a couple of orders in the top sixteen seemed a little weird or uh, in difficult to interpret. Is probably the the correct phrase for it. But as they filled out the regionals relative to the national seed that's hosting them, I think they did a pretty bang-up job there, except for Ohio State being the four seed in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, I look at the the Ole Miss regional. 
they have Jacksonville State in there as a four seed. You hate to see that. I mean, and Jacksonville State won the Ohio Valley. They went 22-8 and eight in their conference, okay? They played six games against the, you know, the top 50 teams, top mm-hmm. 50, and won two of them. They went two and four, but still a couple of wins against top 50 teams on their schedule. And here's the thing about Jacksonville State. They're coming into that regional on a 12-game win streak. 12-game win streak. Hot as a firecracker going in there as a four seed. Now, I mean, Ole Miss is better, but I got news for you. They play good baseball at Jacksonville State, and that's one of those things where if that four seed goes in there and wins, nobody would be surprised. Okay, and then you got Clemson over there on the other side who's a good team from from a power conference. LSU, I'll tell you what, that Baton Rouge Regional, look at this, Southern Miss, the three seed. Good news for you. It would not surprise me if Southern Miss wins that regional. I agree. Here's the other thing. Arizona State is in there in Baton Rouge as the two seed. They lead the country in home runs, and they've got veteran home run hitters who have been knocking them out of the park everywhere they play. Excuse me. And it looks and reminds me so much of last year when Ole Miss hosted Tennessee Tech. Yeah. Um, because Tennessee Tech, veteran, they led the nation in home runs. They were a power-hitting team, and they just went in there and confidently won in front of an opposing crowd. So LSU got a tough draw, I think. Yeah, there's there's a lot of tough draws yeah. in, in that bracket. So credit credit where it's due there. They uh they got the job done, the 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 tournament committee did in in that regard. Um so we'll we'll get to the exact look for, for the Starkville regional momentarily but there is there was one thing i wanted to, to touch on on the sec tournament before we get to the starkville regional because i think these two things kind of go hand in hand how people feel about the team going into the uh the starkville regional but shall we take a break for a sponsor let's do it word from sponsors and then we'll come back and learn a little bit more about who's coming to town every farmer understands their farm can't thrive without some good partners like sun soil and rain and farmers in North Mississippi also rely on another important partner, Mississippi Land Bank. Because land and farm financing are Mississippi Land Bank's primary focus. We've grown alongside these farmers' crops for more than 100 years. We understand what a farmer needs, and we know the lay of the land in North Mississippi. And that's where I stand. All right, so... Brett, you got uh, three teams coming to Starkville this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southern from the SWAC out of Baton Rouge is the four seed who State plays on Friday. And then uh, the other two, the two seed Miami Hurricanes and the three seed Central Michigan, who is a 46-win baseball team. What do we need to know? Uh, well, Central Michigan comes into, the, comes into Starkville on an 18-game winning streak. Um, so do with that. What you will, but in in doing all of this research, and and again, uh, I, I did some re- some statistical looks at the other three teams coming to uh, to Starkville for the Starkville Regional. You can find that on mattwyattmedia.com. Go to the the Hudson Report blog. There you can find all the numbers there. I was kind of shocked to find that all three of these teams have pretty similar, um, pretty similar profiles in that all of them hit. But pitching is far from their forte. I mean, Miami is 13th in the ACC in ERA and 9th in batting average allowed. Central Michigan has a couple of solid 
starters, Pat Leatherman and Cameron Brown, but the the bullpen, it's it's kind of an interesting mishmash of guys. They don't have those three or four bullpen pieces that they can count on to throw twice a weekend every week of the season. They kind of have to mix and match and, and do different things. They don't have a dominant bullpen piece or two to go to. And then Southern, I mean, Southern's pitching numbers are rough. It's it's tough to look at, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but all of these teams can hit. So right. you're, you're hoping for a little bit of a laser show in, in Starkville this weekend but if if mississippi state's pitching can can do what it usually does as it has basically all year you, you gotta like what mississippi state has in this regional just because the run scoring opportunities are, are going to be there what was your takeaway from from that look at the numbers well you know one is i see a lot of other people talking about it's an easy regional or one of the the easier ones and and you know, numbers – all right, here I go. I always love a chance to throw this out there, but stats are like a bikini. They show you a lot, but not everything. It's true. Um, and this is one where, you know, like you pointed out, the three-seed Central Michigan, that's a 46-win team. It's veteran, and they hadn't lost in a month or more. You know, they, don't, they don't even remember what it feels like to lose a game. <laughs> and State, on the other hand, was cold. You know, uh, didn't get the timely hitting, and they're without Magnamie and all this. You you know, they're the one seed. So if you look at recent trends, I, I don't think it is, you know, uh, quote unquote, an, an easy regional. It may, by the numbers, be one of the more lopsided, but I don't know that you can always go uh, by the numbers. I just think that there we're looking at a scenario here where. You know, State did get a good draw. Okay, they did. And if State puts together and really plays well and pitches it like they always do, State's going to win this regional. That's mm-hmm. what it boils down to. This postseason thing is so crazy. And and you, I anyway, tend to lean on the veteran part of this um, so much. It's why, you know, you I, some of the other things I pointed out, I, I don't think it's going to be – you know, that cakewalk that some people think it is going to be. But I think it comes down to pitching. State's the team in this deal whose pitching is far and away better than the others, far and away deeper. And, you know, State may – if State goes out and continues to kind of scuffle a little bit offensively and they're not scoring nine to ten runs a game, they're still going to win this regional if their guys on the mound are just who they are. And have been all year. State's still going to win it because of pitching. That's what I think. I, I agree with you, but there there is an interesting confluence of events there because you go into a regional where you really need your your pitching to show up to kind of take advantage of of a big opportunity, but also with the pitching, with the opposing pitching being what the season numbers suggest they're going to be. You really need some hitting. And this wow. comes after what was one of the tougher weekends of the season for, for Mississippi State in the SEC tournament at, at the plate. A lot of talk about hitting with runners on, hitting with runners in scoring position, situational hitting. Uh, and so I, I ran some numbers, and I actually compared this to a different weekend in the season because State has more or less been here before. Yeah. 
And it was that Arkansas weekend that pretty much everybody remembers well at this point, I, I imagine. Let's look at look at the what they did in Hoover in, in three games. Uh, with runners on, they hit 171, 12 for 70. With runners in scoring position, they hit 146. And with two outs, they hit 171. Compare that to the Arkansas weekend. With runners on, 188. With runners in scoring position, 188. So your your runners on and runners in scoring position from Arkansas, both 188. In Hoover, 171 and 146. Two out hitting in Arkansas was was really bad. Uh, two for 30, 067 compared to uh, six for 35, 171 in Hoover. But they actually hit better overall in Hoover than they did in Arkansas. They hit 243 in Hoover and slugged 292 compared to hitting 173 at Arkansas and 200 and slugging 275. What that tells me is State actually did pretty well in leadoff situations or in situations with no outs. They just couldn't drive those runs in. And, and first of all, all of this is clearly atypical. Here are some season numbers to show that. Mangum is hitting 441 with runners in scoring position for the entire season, even with this despicable six-game sample yeah. we just went through. More batting averages with runners in scoring position. Rowdy Jordan, 333. Tanner Allen, 372. Justin Foscue, 323. Dustin Skelton, 438. Josh Hatcher, 370. Jordan Westberg, 357. And Luke Hancock, 444. To me, this is an approach thing, and it goes back to assistant coach Jake Gotro. And what he did last year, you may remember the situational numbers, particularly with runners on, at the beginning of SEC play last year were just awful. And a good bit of it was responsible for being swept by Vandy to start, then losing the series at Missouri and LSU after that. But Gotro, after he was given the full reins to the hitting last year, after Andy Canazero exited stage left in that 2018 season, it took him a little bit to really work through some approach things that he wanted his hitters to to adopt now that he was more or less the only cook in the kitchen yeah. when it came to hitters. He did have Mike Brown's help, credit to, to him, but Jake Gotro was clearly the primary hitting voice on that 2018 team, so it took him a few weeks mm -hmm. to install that two-out approach, that runners-on approach that, that made State so good going into that final weekend of the season and, and all the way through Omaha. And now he kind of has to to figure out where that approach is and, and get it back to where it generally is with this lineup. I think that's, I think that's just what this team is missing. I don't think there's a existential crisis to be had. I just think they ran into a, a tough weekend and they have an approach thing to change. And they already did that with Arkansas earlier this year after that Arkansas weekend they came back and started hitting well they already did that in the 2018 season once they figured out their their approach they started hitting well and they became an Omaha team now they just have to do it in 2019 right here going into yeah. the NCAA tournament obviously the stakes are higher uh given the the NCAA tournament is here but this is a team and a coach Jake Gotro that has been here before and been successful. Now it's just a matter of, of doing it in this particular time frame. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's a team that's been so resilient all year long. That's yeah. what we, you know, have talked, especially, you know, good at home. But just any – and they, that's it. They hadn't had a bunch of, of dips, but they had the dip, the Arkansas deal. 
You know, they, they got back-ended by LSU. They always responded by playing really good baseball coming out of that. And I just feel like for this team and some of their leadership, you look at the the Mangums and the McNamees and the Skeltons and those guys, for all of them, I think this has always been about getting into the postseason and then turning it up to 11, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know. So um, we're, we're fixing to really see, I think, you know, what they're made of. Um Brett, there's a couple of things I wanted to get into about this team, and we'll finish it up with that. And and we have some Twitter questions that lead us into it <clears throat> yeah. really well. And I want to start off with Daniel Montgomery, who uh, tweeted this question. If McNamee can only DH for the regional, what's the solution for right field? Well, he says for the right field problem. On the McNamee thing, all week long, I'm sitting beside my dad, who, you know, he's a knowledgeable baseball guy, played a lot of baseball in his life, and uh, knows the game, and he follows his team really closely. We're sitting there in Hoover watching it, and several times he said, you know, I, I just got the, he said, I just got this feeling that you, you can't underestimate what McNamee means to this team and what this lineup, and being without him and kind of having that, what feels like a hole in there. And I know that you know, Hatcher hit those three home runs in that last series, but but still there's something about McNamee, you know? What do mm-hmm. you what do you think about what you saw, kind of the hiccup offensively this past week, not getting a timely hitting, and you know, contrast it against what you would have if you have McNamee in his normal spot in the lineup? Well, I do think McNamee would have uh would have had a role in that yeah. for sure. Big hit Mac would have would have stepped up at some point in that uh in, in that slump, there's there's almost no doubt about that. What I can tell you about Elijah McNamee is he's he's starting to hit without the boot, without the cast. So he's he's starting to do something resembling baseball like activity. Yeah. With with no uh, support of of that ailing foot. Now it's just a matter of how quickly he can get himself up to game speed or 100 percent full speed or really changing directions. All the things that that might hurt. If, if you're dealing with a foot injury, it, it depends on how quickly he can get himself to all of those activities in time for for the NCAA tournament. I still think you're going to see him in right field this weekend. I could be wrong. And if if you are, if I am wrong, then to answer the, the heart of, of Daniel's question, it's it's got to be either Cumbest or Hatcher out there and you play it. Uh, depending on the handedness of of the batter, or if you want to use one of them at DH, and you could put Gunner Halter out there. Gunner was was out there late in that seventeen inning game, and of course he walked the game off. Um, and in that seventeen inning game against LSU, so you've got options out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a place where you would instead of playing matchup at DH like you do so much. Now you've got your consistent hitter there in uh, in the DH spot, and you play matchup with what you do in right field. And you saw that over the course of the SEC tournament and state kind of taking guys in and out of, of that spot and getting one guy, a couple ABs, And then when the matchup isn't as good for him, you pull him out and put someone else in there who might have a better matchup against an, an upcoming relief pitcher or a, a handedness matchup, a platoon matchup, whatever, whatever you choose. So I think to, to answer Daniel's question, I think McNamee, is going to be playing right field at least at some point this weekend, if not for the entirety of it. But if he is relegated to just DHing, I think you'll see the same thing you saw in the SEC tournament where you see some sort of platoon between 
Brad Cumbus, Josh Hatcher, and, and Gunnar Halter. And almost all of that will be predicated on on hitting matchups. Who's got who's got the best opportunity to get a hit against whatever pitcher they're going to face in their next at bat. Right. That'd be great. All right. So um Chad Mask and Eric Hollis both are touching on the same thing with questions. Yeah. Eric asked, uh, do you go plumly on Friday? And if so, will you bring small back for the Friday super regional game? So yeah, I you know I, I I mean, everybody out there seems to just kind of be accepting that we're going to see Peyton Plumley against Southern on Friday. Um, I I don't know. I'd love to know what you're hearing or if you are hearing anything, Brett, um, kind of emanating from the facility, not necessarily sourcing or giving away info, but do you have an indication which way they're leaning? Yeah, I don't know that they have a lean quite yet uh or at least if they do i haven't i haven't heard anything uh sourced or or otherwise but i I will say this i think we all remember the earlier portions of the season where coach lamonis seemed a little hesitant if not downright unwilling like that texas a&m weekend to bring guys off their routine Uh, um right now the one that would be most off the routine in this situation is Peyton Plumley, right? He's going from a Sunday starter or in the SEC tournament case, that that random bullpen outing, to a Friday night, actually Friday afternoon start. So he would be the one that's most affected, and he's also got the most vibrant arm. Yeah. So he seems most likely to be able to take something like that. But the counterpoint of that is Ethan Smalls, schedule would would be different you'd be throwing him on saturday and then don't some super regional start on thursday yes they do that's right i'm not yeah, sure exactly so you, which one you, you could ha- be asking him to go saturday and then go again thursday or even friday in that in that super so i i can't i can't in good faith tell tell listeners that i'm hearing this is going to happen etc cetera, etc cetera. but i i will say that i'm a little hesitant to predict that state will go plumly Friday and go with the rotation after that accordingly because of that hesitance that I've seen out of Coach Lamonis to break routine yeah. with starters. Now, if if it's just me and I'm playing with video game characters, right? Like I'm not yeah, right. looking these people in the eye and, and caring about their their arm health and their routine, et, et cetera, et cetera. Then yeah, I'd put I'd put Plumley Friday, I'd put small Saturday, I'd put Gin. Sunday, go go win this Starkville regional in three games and 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 restore the rotation, its usual order in time for that Starkville super regional. That's what I would do. But Coach Ramonis isn't playing a video game. Mm-hmm. He's he's looking these guys in the eyes. He's caring about their arms and their routine, and, and how they feel, and when they're most mentally ready to start. So uh, the I guess the the baseball, um, the the on paper move. Would be to do that. Would yeah. be to have Plumley pitch Friday afternoon against Southern and and save your dominant duo of of Small and Gin. Although frankly, Plumley's been dominant too. The 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 baseball on paper move would be to put Plumley on Friday. But these are human beings, and and Coach Lamonis seems more than willing to take that into account. Yeah. Well, he does, and and I tell you, Brett, my my thing on it is. The most important game of the entire weekend is the first one. And I, and I, that's the way I look at it. 
And, <clears throat> you know, if I really wanted to go, like, super-duper old crotchety guy, I would go the, fir- <laughs> the first game of the weekend is the only one you're guaranteed you know what the matchup is. It's the only one I know I can guarantee myself with several days leading into it, not just 24 hours or less, that mm-hmm. I can I can break down every hitter they have, every tendency, every scout, and, and I can know what I need to do. And I know they're already working on the other teams in the regional, too, in terms of scout. I just think you want to win a, win a, a regional is a lot different than a super, obviously. You could play more games, all that kind of stuff. And with that said, you have to get in that winner's bracket on the first day, period. And I am very – I don't care if it's a four seed. I don't care if it's who it is, what conference they're from. You have to get in that winner's bracket on that first day. Sure helps. Yes. And so I'm tempted to say that you know, if I if it were me, it's there's a reason I don't coach. But if I were, there's no question I'm running Ethan Small out there because I've got the depth and I've got the pitching. There's no question that Central Michigan and Miami, the two teams that if you win, you're gonna face. Well, you're gonna face one of those two the next day anyway. There's no question they're throwing their aces in their first game at six o'clock yeah. on Friday night. So I like my number two guy versus their number two. I don't care who it is. And I like my number three versus whoever I face and when I if and when I throw that number three. So if I'm coaching, Ethan Small takes him out on Friday and we go get that win and we expect him to be dominant. And uh and if and when that happens, now he's thrown on Friday, and whether we play on Thursday or Friday in the super regional or not. He's on the same week's rest, and I run him back out there with confidence. If you hold him and you throw him on Saturday, and then you turn around and you get yourself a super regional starting on Thursday, I don't like it. Does that make sense? So unless unless there's something behind the scenes where the coaching staff already knows with 100% confidence that they're going to have a super regional starting on Friday, then that might be different if you're looking ahead to that. I don't know how far they look ahead, though. Honestly, um, I don't know. I, I, you, we can do it. I'm not sure they're looking ahead to the Super Regional already. I don't think they you know, really can. So we might differ in that. I might differ in that than a lot of people. And they may run Peyton Plumley out there on Friday and all will be well with the world. I just know that I, I'd have small on the mound. And the only game I'm worried about winning is that first one. And and by any means necessary, I'm getting myself in the winner's bracket. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that winner's bracket has been pretty kind over yeah. over the years to to a lot of teams and getting in getting in that winner's bracket in, in the beginning certainly certainly helps. Not that it mattered to last year's team. Yeah, uh, but this right. is this is a different team. So I, I, I agree on on the whole. I'm I'm just interested to see how they play it just just based on that that track record that coach Lamonis has of showing a little hesitance to just dive into adjusting schedules yeah. for starting pitchers especially to commit to it early now if it, if he has conversations with his guys and he feels like changing the schedule is is something that he can do then he might make that decision late in the game kind of like he did in that Texas A&M weekend um where I don't, I don't think the school initially 
uh, or officially announced that until like Thursday. No, like Wednesday afternoon. Right before that that Thursday starts. So he's he's a guy that likes to collect as much information as as possible before he changes starting pitching rotations. He doesn't make assumptions. Um, so I'm I'm very much interested in in that thought process and how he defends his his ultimate decision just because we're still learning about this guy right we're still learning about this staff we're trying to learn his idiosyncrasies and how he how he approaches things uh right. so it's it's kind of interesting to, to see him make decisions and learn about him you know we knew we knew what Dan Mullen was going to do in, in pretty much every situation we saw that guy for nine years you knew what he was going to do. You you had a good idea what John Cohen was going to do in most situations because you saw him coach for so many years. You kind of knew that guy's thought process by the back of your hand. Yeah. We don't know Chris Lamonis right. like that. Mm. So it's 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 interesting to see him be thrown into situations like this. And and as the years go on, he'll be thrown into them repeatedly, and he'll develop a track record. And and we'll know what he's going to do in these situations. But right now we don't. So it, it makes these first few years of the Lamonis era and, and Starkville really fascinating. Do you, do you have the guts to go at this, yeah. this Brad Haynes question? <laughs> yeah, I do. Brad Haynes. Let's do it, man. I've, I've been, I've been struggling here to, to complete this list as we've been recording, but, but <laughs> I, I think I can, I'll put myself on record. Why not? Let's do it. Brad's question on Twitter. This will be the final thing. Which team in the regional slash supers poses the biggest threat in keeping the dogs from Omaha? And then he says, also give me your Omaha eight that make it. All right. So I'll take a stab. I'm gonna put these on record, by the way. I'm you gonna are? I'm gonna okay. take note of these and Dang. we're gonna we're gonna test ourselves once once Omaha comes around. All right. Okay. Go for it. All right. So biggest threat. I'm going to go out here and say that I think the biggest threat in the Starkville regional is... Well, I think he means both the regional and the Palo Alto regional. Right. I mean, he wants them both, and I'm going to do that. I, okay. I, I think Central Michigan might be the most dangerous team. I mean, you win 46 games in a year, you know what you're doing. I don't care what conference you're in. You know how to win, and it'll be about arms. Um, we'll see. I, I think... I think if if I were reseeding them, I think Central Michigan is the second best team in Starkville this weekend. That's what I think. All right, that, there's a fair case to be made for that. Yeah. Then over there on the opposite side, teams that you might match up with there in the Super. I mean, Stanford is Stanford at 41 wins in a good conference. But look at it, man. That's a tough one out there because they're sitting there hosting UC Santa Barbara. At forty-five mm -hmm. and nine on the year, and the three seed is Fresno State, a team with you know more tradition <laughs> than any of them, and they're sitting there at a thirty-eight win baseball team. That's a tough deal over there. But for me, it's certainly Stanford. I, they have the pitching, and so if you you match up against them in a super, <clears throat> you know you could easily have one of those game ones of like one to nothing either way which really swings it one way or the other. So it's Stanford over there on the other side. And then if I real quick, I'm going to go eight teams to make it into, um, into Omaha. I like, you got to give me your 16 too, that win regionals. Okay. So the regional winners. Um, yes. so I like UCLA and Oregon state. Those are one seeds. All right. Okay. Um, I like, excuse me, <clears throat> 
excuse me. I like um, Texas Tech as a one seed. I like Nebraska as a three to advance. Um, Arkansas is going to advance. I don't think Arkansas is going to have much trouble, honestly. Um, okay. Given recent history, I, you know, I don't know. I know Ole Miss is a one. I just don't know enough about Clemson. You know, but I'll give Ole Miss uh, the nod, get them out of the regional. That put them in a super. Uh, I like Arizona State to get out of Baton Rouge to win that one. Ooh. Yep. I like, uh, give me Arizona State. And I'm actually going to pick an upset and say Florida Atlantic comes out of Athens. That's a really good Florida right. Atlantic team. So give me that upset. Vanderbilt through as a one. Um, <clears throat> give me Texas A&M because of their pitching, getting out of Morgantown, West Virginia, fairly easily, frankly, as a two-seed. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I think that's the best regional in this tournament. You that Morgantown regional, that is that is a heck of a lot of fun. I know they lost them, but Texas A&M had two guys take no-hitters into the seventh and eighth innings at the SEC tournament. And I don't think they'll pitch against any better teams they were pitching against offensively in the SEC tournament. So I like A&M. Uh, give me East Carolina as a one coming out of there. Give me Indiana getting past Louisville. So give me a two. You and seat. me both, man. Dang it. Yeah. So we're locked on that one. I got State getting through. Um, I'll have Stanford getting through. That you know, picking that as the super. Yep. And uh, I tell you what, give me uh, give me two SEC teams. Give me Tennessee a two and Auburn a two. Um, getting past Georgia Tech and North Carolina and advancing into that one. Um, wow. And then, yeah, so those are those are my 16. Yep, so. And your Omaha 8. So the Omaha 8 are going to be uh, Tennessee, Mississippi State, uh, Indiana. I hear you typing over there. Um, <laughs> Vanderbilt, UCLA. Texas Tech, Arkansas, and Arizona State. Man, you are going upset crazy. Oh, it'll happen. Because find me the last several years, find me the last year you had a whole bunch of one seeds rolling into Omaha. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. I um see I'm kinda I'm kinda on the opposite spectrum. I expected to have more uh, madness yeah. in in mine, but I I ended up going chalkier than I wanted to. Just <laughs> and you're by probably matchup. smart. You're so probably smart for that. Reason. If it's a chalky tournament, I'm gonna win. And if it's if it's bonkers, you're you're gonna win. There's there's no <laughs> doubt. Um, yeah. So my my 16. Uh, I have UCLA getting out of its regional somewhat easily. I have Vandy getting out of its regional uh, somewhat easily. Georgia Tech gonna get out of there. So is Georgia. Uh, Arkansas and Mississippi State will both get out of theirs. I was hoping to to kind of put the big upset on the board by having Indiana get out of the Louisville regional, but you beat me to it. <laughs> and then I've got Texas Tech winning its own regional. I've got Oklahoma State winning its regional. I really struggled with the East Carolina yeah. uh, group. NC State is in there. That's a that's a good one for me. But and I'm I'm gonna stick with ECU there. Stan, the Palo Alto Regional, man, that's that's not easy. Gosh, I think UCSB is going to scare the crap out of Stanford. I know, and so will Fresno State. But I think Stanford's 
going to get out of there. I also really struggle with the Oxford Regional. I think Ole Miss is going to get out of that. I've got Southern Miss winning that Baton Rouge Regional. Okay. I, no, think I wouldn't I be think surprised at all. It. I think North Carolina is going to win their regional. West Virginia, I, I'm I'm already on record. I think the the Corvallis Regional and the Morgantown Regional are the two most entertaining regionals of of the weekend. I I I really came close to having Duke come out of that oh, Morgantown wow. yeah. regional, uh, but I'm going to give West Virginia the nod there, and then Oregon State coming out of out of Corvallis. Uh, my my Omaha eight are UCLA, Vanderbilt. North Carolina upsetting Georgia Tech to get there. Okay. Uh, I didn't expect to have Georgia in Omaha when this thing started, but then I had a matched up against Southern Miss in, in a super regional. I think Georgia's going to get through that. Arkansas will beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State. We'll get to Omaha. I think ECU is going to beat Indiana, and Cliff Goblin's going to make the trip to Omaha. And I think Oklahoma State is going to upset Texas Tech, and the Cowboys are going to get to Omaha. My, my final eight – for Omaha, UCLA, Vanderbilt, North Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi State, East Carolina, and Oklahoma State. Cool. I like it. More well, talking than I anticipated. I'm that's not all right. with myself. That's okay. That's okay. You're probably the smart one. Uh, well, there's really no probably we'll to it, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> all right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Dogpile, uh, presented by Mississippi Land Bank and Jubilations Cheesecake online. Y'all visit them. Do us a favor. If you're a dedicated listener here, which every time I see you at the ballpark, I appreciate all the pats on the back, and I know Brett does too. Do us a favor. Head on over there and see them, mslandbank.com. Drop them a note and say, hey, thanks for sponsoring Dogpile. Let them know you listen. Same thing uh, for George and Luann and the folks at Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. Stop in, tell them you listen, or hit them up at jubilations.com uh, there. Leave them a note and uh, tell them you listen as well. So we uh, appreciate that. So Brett's on record. I'm on record. And here we go. Next, th- next time we uh, jump in here with you, it'll be hard preview of what's coming up. Hey, and Brett, one more thing. Can you join me on the radio at 11 o'clock today? Sure can. <laughs> perfect i just thought i'd go ahead and get it in while we're here yeah uh and by the way um this is coming in like as we're wrapping up the podcast so i'm gonna wrap it up with this because i think people will appreciate this yeah uh the reserve tearback seats for the starkville regional sold out in 26 minutes (laughs) it did not take very long gracious alive 26 minutes to sell out every tearback seat in the stadium for an entire weekend i just mean 26 minutes the, Some of the uh, best baseball fans in America. And that just means that the next best seat available now is right beside you, Brett, at the kiddie pool out in right field. Come on with it, baby. <laughs> Come on with it. Yep. Flip-flops are allowed. You just got to take them off before you get in the pool. All right. <laughs> For Brett Hudson, I'm Matt Wyatt. We'll see you next time on Dogpile. See ya. <laughs>